follow the marquee and come to the Monday matinee. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Welcome to Sonic Society, episode 470. I'm your host, Jack Ward, with... David Alt. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, David. Back again for another great week of Sonic Society. This week is going to be Time Cutter by Pulp Paris Theatre. But, you know, we're getting closer and closer to, uh, well, I was going to say spring, but we're already through spring. Almost the Sonic Summer Stock Playhouse. (laughs) Time has just zipped by us. It has, yes. I think that's one of those things. As days get more full, mm-hmm. then they just disappear so much faster, I find. Yeah. Have you and David Cummings had a chance to sort of get an idea together yet of what you want to do for Sonic Summerstock? We're all waiting. Well, we've got some thoughts, and I'm going to get back in touch with them uh, again any moment now, really. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I so enjoyed doing um, Telltale Heart last year. Me too. I think we can do something else. Definitely. Well, if you get stuck, I will do some searching too as well, because I'd, I'd like okay. to. And of course, you know, keep me in mind for any part that you have. I just w- would love to be involved. That would be so much yes. fun. Every year it's been great. <laughs> and this summer, I'm hoping uh, in the new space, we'll have a chance to do some recording of brand new audio drama, but also a chance to go through some of the great old time radio stuff. That tends to be really exciting to do live as well, you know? Yes, yes. And, and uh, I remember last year, Rude Alchemy doing this live Sherlock Holmes. That was so that much was fun. Just, it was hilarious. Can you get a hold of those guys and see if they're interested in doing another one? That I will do, yes. That would be great. Absolutely. We can put them on the schedule too. And if you want to get a hold of me at sonicsociety at gmail.com, let us know what show you would like to do if you're an audio drama person or an audio drama group. We would love to have your old time radio recreation ready for Sonic Summerstock Playhouse. But speaking of the people who do the audio dramas of the comics that your grandmother hid from your grandfather. <laughs> I think it's time for some Pulpery Theatre, don't you, Jack? That's right. Time Cutter by Pulpery Theatre and Peter Lutz, right here on the Sonic Society. Continuing our third season of Outstanding Audio Dramas, this is Pulpery Theatre, starring the Narada Radio Company. Inspired by the best pulp in the world, welcome to Pulp Pourri Theatre, starring the Narada Radio Company. Tonight, The Time Cutter by Pete Lutz. And now, the Faux Patrol Corporation, makers of Ocheline Motor Fuel, present Pulpery Theater. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we introduce an unusual character. He's a private detective, and while you might normally consider gumshoes a dime a dozen, this guy has a shtick that nobody's ever seen before. 
He travels through time to solve your cases. And now, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our director and producer, Mr. Pete Lutz. Good evening. Tonight's story is called The Time Cutter, and it's a play I wrote way back in 2001 and originally staged that same year at Harbor Playhouse in Corpus Christi, Texas. Our title character, as hinted a moment ago, is a guy who gets around, and you'll find out just how he does it after this important word from Oshaline Motor Fuel. Have you tried, friends, Oshaline Motor Fuel? Oshaline, manufactured by the Four Patrol Corporation, is the only high-octane motor fuel made from distilled seaweed. When I am driving to the movie set and I notice that I need motor fuel, I stop at my neighborhood Oshaline station and get my tank filled with that good stuff. Oh, hello, Mr. Oshaline man. I did not see you there. Are you here to enlighten us further? Yes, that's right. Oshaline, that high octane motor fuel made from distilled seaweed, is the only motor fuel of its kind made with kelpinate. It's guaranteed to give you more miles per dollar. So try Oshaline with Kelpinate today. That is what I'm here for, Mr. Oshaline man. Give my car what it is craving. Fill her up with Oshaline with Kelpinate. Yeah. Welcome back to The Time Cutter, tonight's installment of Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Our story takes place in Celestial City, a teeming metropolis on the east coast of the United States. The year is 2050, and private detective John Dark, the Time Cutter, is staring out his office window at the driving rain. My name is John Dark. People call me the Time Cutter. My story is a strange one. One day, about 10 years ago, I woke up in an alley here in Celestial City, not knowing who I was, not knowing where or when I was from. When I discovered that the year was 2040 and that I knew nothing about the times or the technology of that year, I guessed that I had somehow physically cut through the temporal dimension and stepped through from the past to the future. A little experimentation proved that I still had this strange, innate ability to travel back and forth in time. Since I was fairly certain that I'd come from the past, but not sure exactly which year, I decided to settle in 2040. I took the name John Dark for no other reason than I liked the way it sounded. Hung up my PI's shingle, and specialized in answering people's questions about the past and the future. That was 10 years ago. I suppose there are a lot of people out there who could raise the moral question of whether or not it's right for someone to know about his future, 
but they aren't usually the people who hire me. So I don't worry too much. My fee is $5,000 a day, plus expenses. And I have only one hard and fast rule. Don't ask me to change anything. Don't even joke about it. I was sitting in my office on Thurman Street on a Wednesday afternoon last month, gazing out at the water running down my window. The rains had come with a vengeance to Celestial City, and they did my current mood no favors, believe me. Business had been slow lately anyway, and now the weather was keeping potential clients and their problems indoors. The coffers, as a result, were dropping to dangerous levels. I had enough ready funds to keep me afloat for a couple weeks, but I wasn't alone in this venture. I had one more mouth to feed. As if on cue, that extra mouth to feed came to the door, bringing the rest of her with it. Anything else, boss? It's half six. Vivian Chen is my secretary, receptionist, accountant, and very good listener when I need one. She's also a ball breaker at times. And while I don't always appreciate it, I tend to accept that she does it only when I really deserve it. She's an import from Shanghai, by way of Oxford, and it usually throws a client for a loop to hear this beautiful, tiny Chinese woman speak with an English accent. If Vivian derives pleasure from their confusion, who am I to complain? Boss, you there? Quitting time, Mr. Dark. Huh? 6.30 already? No, Angel, I don't need you for anything. Go ahead. Sorry to keep you so late. Oh, no problem, boss. I had plenty to keep me occupied, but then I remembered I have a date tonight. You okay? Ah, oh, sure, I'm fine. Is it the same guy? Well, same type of guy. Tall, funny, rich, unmarried, not too hard on the eyes, and you know. So he looks like me, eh? Exactly like you. <laughs> sure you're okay. You've been staring out that window for an hour. Yes, Miss Chen, I am fine. And please remind me to shift your desk so you can't see me from the outer office. <laughs> That'll be the day. Boy, if I had a quid for every time I heard you say that. You wouldn't be able to spend it here. The phrase, Angel, is if I had a nickel. Oh, crikey, boss. Is it really? What would I do without you? I'm so happy to have you around to teach me English. Here's some English for you, smart Alec. Go, beat it. Scram. Now there's John Dark we all know and love. See, now I can leave and feel good about it. See you tomorrow, boss. Okay, have a good time. Leave the outer door unlocked. I'm going to be leaving myself pretty soon. Righto. Night. I sat there for a few more minutes, listening to my growling stomach compete with the rumbling thunder, and decided it was time to go down to the corner for a bite to eat. I just put on my hat and raincoat, and was reaching for the door when it opened on its own to reveal something outlined in the dim light of the corridor. Mr. John Dark? She stepped into the light of the office, and a quick glance told me she was probably 40, trying hard to look 30, and not doing too bad a job at it. Slender figure, but not exceedingly so, good legs, brown shoulder-length hair, and eyes, a shade of blue I hadn't seen since I'd done that lost future grandson job in the Bahamas. That was the first glance. The second one showed clothes that spoke of money and the air of a woman all too used to getting her way in things. So, I set my stomach a mental message to shut up 
and stepped aside for her to enter. Yes, my name is Dark. Come in, please, and make yourself comfortable, Miss... It's Mrs. Romero. Brenda Romero. Have a seat, Mrs. Romero. Thank you. You picked a bad night to come looking for a detective. What can I do for you? Are you the man they call... the Time Cutter? That's me. I apologize for asking, but I just wanted to be sure, because I discovered that you don't advertise that part of your service. You were referred to me by one of your former clients. He, um, asked me not to mention his name. I do tend to have that effect on my clients, but the referral is gratifying nonetheless. Was there something you wished to speak to me about? Uh, oh, yes, of course. Uh, I hardly know how to begin. I had everything I wanted to say all figured out in my head, but as soon as I met you, it all disappeared. I tend to have that effect on my clients as well. I'll tell you what, Mrs. Romero. I was just about to step out for a bite to eat. Would you care to join me? Perhaps a public place would help you gather your thoughts. You're kind to offer, Mr. Dark. But what I have to say will not, I hope, take up too much of your time. Whatever you say, Mrs. Romero. You're the boss. I studied her face across the desk as she composed her story in her head. Prominent cheekbones, firm jawline, sculpted eyebrows, altogether a very attractive lady. There was something about her nose that made her seem vaguely familiar. The way her nostrils flared slightly as she breathed, I suppose. But I knew we'd never met before. After a few moments, she began her tale. My husband doesn't know I'm here, Mr. Dark. And I don't want him to know that I'm hiring you. Tomas just laughs when I talk about wanting to know. He says the past is the past, and it doesn't benefit anybody to find out about it. Apparently he doesn't know how much I charge. Exactly! That's just what I was thinking. Anyway... Since you brought it up, your fee. I'll be paying you myself. I have my own money, an inheritance from my mother. Yeah, that's fine. Please go on. She, in turn, inherited from her mother, my grandmother. And it would be passed on to my daughter, if I had one. It's something my grandmother devised in order to protect the women of her family from the necessity of relying on men for their livelihood. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that your grandmother was pretty badly hurt by a man. Well, I'm not entirely sure, Mr. Dark, and that's why I'm here tonight. I want to hire you to find out what became of the man who was my... my grandfather. Couldn't you find out anything from your grandmother? No, that's just it. Grandma was always very mysterious about him, as if talking about this man would jinx any chance of him coming back to her. All she would ever admit to either mother or myself was that he had come suddenly into her life, had loved her fiercely for a short time, and then had vanished. As suddenly as he'd appeared, she wouldn't even tell us his name. And your grandmother was certain that this mystery man was your mother's father? Yes, she had no doubts whatsoever. Okay, Mrs. Romero, I think I understand what you want me to do. Why don't you spell it out for me just the same? <sighs> Mr. Dark, I want you to go back to a time a little more than nine months before my mother was born and find out what you can about this man who was so important to my grandmother. That's the page I thought you were on. Okay, then. I can do it, Mrs. Romero. But tell me, please, why do you want to know? Why do I want to know? Isn't it obvious? 
Obvious or not, it's a question I ask every client. <laughs> well, it would settle so many questions for me. It would give me insight into why my mother was the way she was. Why I am the way I am. The possibility exists that he may still be alive and I might meet him. If not, then there may be others who knew him or, or possibly other children. What is this, a test? Are you so selective about your clientele that you can turn me down? I'm not turning you down, Mrs. Romero. I'll take the job. Yes, it was a test. Of your sincerity. If you had mentioned anything at all about altering your family history, this conversation would be over by now. And yes, I am selective. I have to be. For my own safety. You'll take the job? Thank you, Mr. Dark. Thank you. Uh, when can you start? I told her I could start the next day, barring any complications, once I had a plan drawn up. Mrs. Romero provided background information. Her mother's date of birth, a description of her grandmother as a young woman, her address at the time, and her name, Kim Michael. Unfortunately, no photos were available. Grandma rarely allowed herself to be photographed. I don't know why. Did she keep a diary? Are there any letters, personal papers, things like that? No, I'm sorry, Mr. Dark. If she kept a diary, it's long gone. Any letters she may have had, well, uh, Mother and I never found them. <laughs> and believe me, we looked. Where did your grandmother work? Did she have a profession? She was an ER nurse at the Old City Hospital. I spent a few more minutes with her, gathering as much information as I could. And I stood, ending the meeting, and she followed suit. Okay, Mrs. Romero. That's it for now, I think. I'll be in touch in a few days. With luck, I'll have the information you're hoping for. I look forward to your report. Good night, Mr. Dark, and good luck. Welcome back to The Time Cutter, tonight's Pulpery Theater presentation. Just before the break, John Dark, the time-traveling private detective, had been hired to go back in time to find out what he could about a mysterious stranger. It's now the next afternoon, and John Dark is discussing the case with Vivian Chen, his secretary. So that's it, Angel. Brenda Romero wants me to go back in time to a point sometime before her mother was born to see if I can find out who her grandfather was. What's the date of birth? December 27th, 1985. Okay, December 1985. Nine months prior is March of that same year. Do you want me to make it a full year, then? How about 11 months? January 1985. It'll be cold, so I'll be able to wear my old bogey-style overcoat. <sighs> that manky old thing. Only 65 years back then, eh, boss? Cushy number for you? Well, it's not so much the distance that's easy, as it is the history that's available for the period. The 20th century is pretty well documented, after all. Have you got your historical gear? Fake ID for that time. Check. Pre-1985 cash? Check. List of cool things to buy me while you're there. <laughs> Such as? Chokies! They're so hard to find and so expensive nowadays. If I can, I'll bring you back some chocolates. <laughs> Yay! Now, can we get back to business? What building have you selected for me? The Wayfair's insurance building on 52nd was a fairly new structure in 1985, and it's still standing today. Records show an office available that was unoccupied then, but you'd have to sneak in at night now. Alarm systems? Then and now? 
Nothing modern in either time, and nothing you haven't already worked with. Should be a right piece of piss for you, genius. Vivian Chin, I find it difficult to believe you kiss your mother with that mouth. Well, what did I say? Never mind. Are you going to stick around? Don't I always. I will for a bit, anyway. I want to have a little snoop in your private files. <laughs> a mate and I have a little uh, bet on the JFK assassination. You've been to Dallas in 1963, haven't you? Yes, but you won't find the answer in my files. It's all up here, sweetness. Ah, oh, cobblimey, that skull of yours. All those naughty secrets worth so much lovely money for me. And you've got them all locked up in your bloody pants. All right then, love. Give us a hint. Who really killed Kennedy? Nothing doing, Angel. Anyway, no one would believe you. The true story is so bizarre, you wouldn't believe it yourself. <sighs> okay, I'm off to the Wayfarers building. What's the office I'm breaking into? Tenth floor, suite 1007. It's a dentist office today, but why are you going so bloody early? I'll need to be in place before they secure the outer doors for the night. You know that. But you've got hours yet. I also know that if you go too early, you'll get all tensed up. Not good for you. Take me for a bite to eat, and I'll help you pass the time by flirting with you in Chinese across the table. Angel, you could read Moby Dick to me in Chinese, and it would sound flirtatious. Okay, you talked me into it. Come on. <laughs> okay, then. Wait till I find my copy of Moby Dick. A couple hours later, I was in a cab on the way to the Wayfarer's building. Vivian had been as good as her word. I have no idea what she was saying to me over that little restaurant table, but she said it in such an enjoyable way that we continued the conversation at her apartment. And now I was relaxed and ready for the night's work ahead. <sighs> She'd been right. I do work better when I'm not tensed up. I had the cab driver pull up about a block away from the building. All right, here you go. That's uh, 150 even, mister. Here's 200. Keep the change. Oh, big spender. I could maybe get a cup of coffee. Hey, is this the right address? We're right in front of a vacant lot. You sure you don't want to... I'm sure. Okay, all right. It's your funeral. Look out for the psychos. They all come out when it rains. Oh, I'll be all right. I'm one of them. Good night. I turned my collar up against the rain and carried my satchel up the block to the Wayfarer's Insurance Building, entering from a side door. The lobby was almost deserted, and I had about 45 minutes before the janitor locked the doors. deserted maintenance room until I felt enough time had passed for the building to be deserted. I carefully took the stairs one flight down and went to work on the door lock of suite 1007. Fifteen seconds more and I was inside with the door locked again behind me. From the satchel I drew and changed into clothing appropriate to the time I was visiting. 
I loaded my pockets with a false driver's license and other items that would identify me as a citizen of 1985. Then I stood in the middle of the room, picturing the date I wanted, January 29th of that year. I extended my arms, palms up, and closed my eyes, imagining a tiny point of light about three feet in front of me. This light began to brighten until the entire room was filled with it, and I felt a tingle on my face and palms. I opened my eyes and saw that the point of light I had imagined was actually there, floating in front of me at eye level. Seconds mattered now, so I quickly plunged my left hand into the point of light. Pain, like a million bee stings, pierced my hand and began to travel up my arm. The light was more intense now, and I had to squint. I gritted my teeth to combat the pain and pushed down with the edge of my hand to slice a long, vertical gash into the temporal fabric. Then I stepped through the gash. After stepping through and quickly checking my surroundings for danger, I sealed up the gash I'd cut. I didn't want the dentist who used this office in 2050 to stumble through and find himself lost in time. The sharp vertigo I used to feel when I first started doing this had reduced itself over the years to the merest twinge of nausea. This subsided quickly and I took a longer moment to look around. The dentist's equipment was gone. The floor was bare and dusty and I knew without doubt that I was standing in the 1985 version of Suite 1007. Vivian had done her research well. I made a mental note to give her a raise when I got back and made preparations to exit the building. Three minutes later, I was on the street, having taken the stairs and disabled an alarm on the side street door. The celestial city of 1985 didn't look that much different from the one I'd just left. Cars everywhere you looked, sidewalks crowded with humanity, even at this hour of the night, and a sharp tang in the air like sewage mixed with industrial waste. Yep, just like home. I turned in the direction of City Hospital and walked through the brisk January air to see if Kim Michael, Brenda Romero's grandmother, was on shift that night. Kim, 
What time is it? Almost 5 a.m. Brought you coffee. Coffee sounds good, but I need something sweet. Come here, you. Jack Doran, it is 5 o'clock in the morning. I just got off the graveyard shift at the hospital, and you've got less than half an hour before you have to be at the precinct house. So? So, coffee? <sighs> coffee it is. Careful, still hot. You and I have got to get synchronized. Working two different shifts is cutting into my love life. I know, honey, and I feel the same way. But everybody starts out on the graveyard shift at the hospital. It won't be for too much longer. And besides, it's the late shift that gets the most interesting cases. Interesting? You mean the freaks. They're not all freaks, Jack. Tonight, for example, is interesting. Did you watch the 10 o'clock news? The drive-by shooting on 52nd? I had it on, but I was only half listening. Drive-bys happen all the time. Man and a woman, wasn't it? Shot by mistake? That's right. The woman died, poor dear. She was the mother of six and had 14 grandchildren. The man should be okay, though. A grazed temple and a through-and-through in his left arm. So what's interesting about that? I see stuff like that on my beat all the time. I'm getting to it, Jack. The interesting thing was, the wounded man looked just like you. What? Don't kid me. Well, an older version of you, sure. He could pass for your older brother or your father. You should go around to the hospital and see for yourself. Maybe I'll get a chance to stop in while I'm on shift. Sneak a peek at him if he's still there. Did you get to talk to him at all? No, he hadn't woken up by the time I left. Ugh, I just can't get over the resemblance between him and you. It's uncanny. Well, they say everybody has a double. Maybe this guy's mine. Holy cow, honey, look at the time. You've got to get moving or you'll be late for roll call. You and your dang stories. Step aside, darling, and let this man hit the shower. You're listening to The Time Cutter by Pete Lutz. Tonight's installment of Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Stay tuned. We'll be back with Act 3 of our play right after this word from the makers of Oshaline Motor Fuel. Oshaline Motor Fuel, made from distilled seaweed, one of the fine products of the Faux Patrol Corporation, took a few moments recently to ask some of our loyal customers how they liked the new miracle additive Kelpinate. Here's what they had to say. Galpinate, that's good stuff, man. That's it? Anything else? What do you want, man? It's good, you know. Something's good? It's good. It's so good, I put it on my breakfast cereal, man. (laughs) Well, I don't know much about cars, but there's a hill that leads up to my house, and there's a very nice man who lives at the bottom of that hill who used to help me get up that hill. And since I've been using Oshaline with Kelpinate, I haven't had any trouble making it up that hill, so... So thanks a lot, Kelpinate! I've been using Oshaline for only a short while. Didn't trust it, hmm? Then the wife bought a tank of the stuff by accident. Women, eh? (laughs) And I realized, well, it's not bad at all. And it makes a capital salad dressing. Jolly good. Don't take my word for it. Ask our customers. Oshaline with Kelpinate delivers.
Welcome back to The Time Cutter, tonight's Pulpourri Theater presentation. Officer Jack Doran, ain't you a sight for sore eyes? Nancy, hi. Been a long time, hasn't it? Have you finally come to your senses and given up on that no-good homewrecker, Kid Michael? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Nancy. I finally realized that you're the only woman for me. Can you tell me where they're keeping that John Doe from last night's drive-by? He ain't a John Doe. He's a John Dark. Huh? Yeah. He had ID set John Dark, room 302. He's still out. So you won't be able to talk to him. Don't want to talk to him, just want to look at him. Kim says he's like my double or something. Huh. Well, I don't see it, but go ahead. Don't stay in there too long, okay? No problem, I'll be in and out. City Hospital, third floor. Nancy, it's Kim. Have you seen my fellow there today? Jack? Yeah. He was here a little while ago. Wanted to see the drive-by victim. He went in, but shot out of there like a bat out of hell. Without he said nothing to me. What's wrong with him today? <sighs> Suddenly I was awake. I opened my eyes and saw an angel. The angel was wearing hospital scrubs and a white lab coat. They sure dress funny up here in heaven, I was thinking. And then I saw a name embroidered on the coat. Kim Michael, RN. Something must have gone horribly wrong with my plan. I hadn't intended on being face-to-face -face with her at all, and certainly not flat on my back in a hospital bed. Hi there, John. Welcome back. Did you say something about being face-to-face -face with me? Huh? Oh, uh, no, it was, it was nothing. I guess I thought you were this guy I knew from Kansas City. <laughs> well, I knew we were giving you drugs, but I didn't realize they were hallucinogens. Do you know where you are, Mr. Dark? Let me guess. Uh, hospital for the criminally insane? Close enough. You're in City Hospital. You were brought in last night after a gang-related shooting with wounds just... Last night? I've been here for more than a day? Yes. The doctor felt you should stay sedated. You lost a lot of blood, Mr. Dark, but your wound should heal nicely. Let me guess. My arm? Yes, and your left temple was grazed by a bullet. You may have a scar there. It'll go along nicely with the others in my collection. Did I talk in my sleep? Well, I didn't hear anything. But one or two of the other nurses said you kept calling out for, uh, Jackie Chan? And someone named Benny Romero? Kim Michael kept up a steady stream of chatter, but I tuned her out as I pondered the ramifications of the fact that through some dumb twist of fate I'd come into direct contact with the person I'd been seeking. This wasn't supposed to happen. My job is to watch, to gather information, and not interact with the people of a different time from mine. I had to get out of here, get away from Kim Michael before my presence started altering her future, if it hadn't already. I surreptitiously studied her face as she talked. There was something familiar about her. Something about the way her nostrils flared slightly when she breathed. I put it out of my mind for the moment. Nurse, 
Nurse, where are my personal belongings? Oh, your things? Well, they're here in this drawer, but your clothes are too bloody to save. We had to destroy them, I'm sorry. Your shoes are here, though. Well, you need to get some rest now, Mr. Dark. I'll check in on you later. Ring if you need anything, okay? A few hours later, a multiple car pileup started sending injured victims into the ER, so I took advantage of the brouhaha to sneak out. I was lucky enough to find a stack of scrubs and some doctor's lab coat in an unlocked storeroom, so I didn't have to sneak out in just my shoes and skivvies. I was gonna miss that overcoat. It was just like the one Bogart wore in the big sleep. I checked the contents of my wallet before slipping it into the pocket of the lab coat and noticed that while the money was all there, my fake driver's license was missing. That could be a problem, but my first priority was getting out of the building. Walking at a regular pace, so as not to draw attention to myself, I cursed my luck again, and a figure emerged from the shadows to stand in my way. His face was still in shadow, but there was enough light for me to tell he was one, a man, and two, a cop. Hold it right there, Mr. Dark, or whatever your name is. I had a suspicion you'd try to sneak out of the hospital after you came to. Is there a problem, officer? Is there a problem? You better believe there's a problem. Before I could respond, a car pulled into the street, washing its headlights over the cop. <gasps> oh, sweet Matilda! Could my luck get any worse? I was looking at myself, an about ten years younger version of myself, and my younger self was a hot-headed cop with a gun. I could relate to his anxiety, but as the older, wiser version, I wanted to live a little longer, so I decided to give the outward appearance of calm. Inside, however, I was all knotted up but a part of my brain was still on the case. For example, I'd noticed before the lights from the car disappeared, the name tag on the cop's uniform, Jack Doran. That was like John Dark spelled sideways, sort of. My subconscious must have been trying to tell me something when I chose the John Dark moniker. Who are you? My name is John Dark. Try again, mister. I lifted your driver's license in case you hadn't guessed and checked you in the computer. Guess what? You don't exist, so I ask you again. Who are you? Hey, officer, I'm just a guy trying to get by in the world. Can I have that back, my license? I look at you and I can't believe I'm looking at me, that, that scar you have on the back of your hand. Look here, I have it too. I saw it today in your hospital room and I nearly fell down. I'm listening to you talk and I'm hearing my voice. Kim noticed the similarity. She said something about us looking like brothers, but she didn't quite put it together, did she? How could it be? How, How do you think I feel? Obviously, I'm going through the same discovery process that you are. I didn't expect to meet up with myself on this trip. Ha! I knew it. You are me, aren't you? About ten years from now? Wrong. I'm you. But you got the time wrong. Try 65 years from now. Ugh. Oh, crap. I need to sit down. Ugh. No, no. I'm, I'm all right. Stay there. D don't touch me. I saw a movie once where a guy traveled back in time and touched his younger self, and they both disappeared. That was a movie, Jack, and not a very good one. Anyway, you gotta tell me how you got here, and what you're doing here. Please, please, you just gotta. I decided to tell Jack what he wanted to know. I don't know why. I guess I just figured that there was no harm in sharing the information with him. 
myself. If Dorn was still going to slip through time to the 21st century and become John Dark, he'd forget what I told him anyway. On the other hand, if telling him changed our future, then I figured that the time cutter would simply disappear and leave Dorn to live the life he was supposed to have all along. So what did I tell him? First, let me explain what I didn't tell him. It was reasonable to assume that the Kim he'd mentioned a minute ago was Kim Michael, the nurse at the hospital and my client's grandmother, and apparently Doran's my girlfriend. I left out all reference to the child she'd be carrying soon and the woman who had hired me. Those were lives that I had no right to affect, and it was easier not to think about the baby and who she would become, and how she would then give birth to my future client. Anyway, it was easier not to think about it. So I told him that soon he would somehow cut a hole through the fabric of time and end up in the future, not knowing who he was. He would make a life in that future. But what about Kim? You won't remember her. But I'll come back, won't I? I, I mean, I did. You came back for s some reason, right? Doesn't that mean I'll see her again? Maybe. That's it? That's all you can tell me? Yep, that's it. Listen, Jack, I need to be moving along. Could I... Oh, sure, your license here. Sorry about all the BS before. Thanks. Don't be sorry, you were just doing your job. I'd have done the same thing, literally. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've often wondered what it was that pushed me toward being a detective. Now I see it's because I was a cop in the past. Are you an honest cop, Jack? Are you an honest detective, John? Nice to see some things don't change. Jack... I've got one more question to ask before I go. Does Kim keep a diary? Yeah, she's really devoted to it, too. No matter what, she writes something in it every day. Can you tell me where she puts it? Trust me, it's important. Jack gave me a look that seemed to say, if I can't trust myself, who can I trust? And told me what I wanted to know. Then John Dark and Jack Dorn parted ways. Me to my future and him to his. Would they be the same? The question gave me food for thought as I retraced my steps to the Wayfarer's insurance bill. I discarded my original plan after meeting Jack Dorn and cobbled a new one together on the spot. I didn't know whether or not it would work, but it was the only one I could come up with. Back in the vacant suite 1007, I concentrated my energies on a date 50 years hence. Brenda Romero had told me the date of her grandmother's death, so I wanted to arrive within a day or two of that date. My client had inadvertently led me to believe that Kim Michael had had some secret undiscovered hiding place for her diaries, but I realize now that there was going to be a different reason for their disappearance. I stepped through the new cut from January 1985 to June 2035 and made my way to Kim Michael's house. I'd like to say I recognized it, but I'd be lying. Luckily, no one was home. I found the cache of diaries, more than 20 volumes, in the place Jack Dorn had described, scooped them all up, and left as unnoticed as when I'd arrived. I was back in 2050, about 15 minutes later, and had timed it so I was returning about five minutes after I'd left the first time. My satchel was still on the floor in the dentist's office, 
So I dropped Kim Michael's divers into it and made my way back to my place. It didn't take long to sort through the stack and select the ones I needed. I decided to begin with March 1985. March 15th, 1985. I just got the results. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant with Jack's baby. I'll tell him tonight. I hope he'll be as happy as I am. Will he ask me to marry him? April 7th, 1985. Tonight Jack told me the strangest story. He said the man who'd been in the drive-by shooting a few months ago, the one who looked like him, was him, or rather an older version of him who had traveled through time. He said his older self had warned him that he too would vanish someday. He begged me to believe him, but I just don't know what to think. It's like something out of a movie. December 20th, 1985. It's been two weeks since Jack disappeared, since he seemingly vanished into thin air. His partner told me today that he and his other friends in the forest are never going to stop looking for Jack, but there was a thing in his voice that sounded like defeat. Was this what Jack's older self had warned him about, or was it all a build-up to skipping out on me? No, I won't believe that about him. Still, why did it have to happen with the baby due so soon? December 27, 2003. Jacqueline, my little Jackie, turned 18 today. She is so beautiful with her father's eyes and my nose. Will I ever tell my daughter about my beloved Jack? No, poor dear would think me absolutely mad. I miss him still. Then, in the final volume, this entry. June 10th, 2035. My granddaughter Brenda's 25th birthday. I don't feel very well today, so I couldn't attend her party, poor dear, but I sent off a nice gift. Brenda's a real beauty, tall and slender, beautiful brown hair. I flatter myself that she looks like me when I was her age, but she has her grandfather's eyes like a mother Jackie does. 50 years since my beloved disappeared, and I'm reminded of him every time I see my daughter or granddaughter. Perhaps I've been foolish for keeping him a secret for so long. Perhaps tomorrow I can break my silence, reveal my secrets. Perhaps the curious Brenda can finally have the answers to her many questions. I now accept the fact that my dear Jack will never return to me. <sighs> this is enough for tonight. It's late, I'm tired, and I must sleep. There'll be time to decide tomorrow. Kim must have died shortly after that diary entry. It was the last one in the book. I stacked up all the volumes of Kim Michael's diary. 
and carried them over to the fireplace. Boss, what a cracking adventure you had. You get shot by gangsters, meet your client's grandmother face to face, and then you nearly get shot by your younger self. And you still found time to buy me chocks. Blimey, I wish I'd been there with you. <laughs> and if you'll stop jabbering long enough to change the dressing on my arm, Vivian, I won't have to go to the current day hospital and explain a gunshot wound I got 65 years ago. Sorry, boss, but on the bright side, I'll never again have to lay my eyes on that manky old overcoat. Here now, back to you, Don. Let me help you put that shirt on and there. Boss? Yeah? What are you going to tell Mrs. Romero? I mean, she sent you out to look for her grandfather, and she didn't have to look any farther, really, than across your desk, you know? I'd hate to be in your shoes, eh? Give me an aspirin, Angel. Thanks. Don't remind me. It's all I've been thinking about for the past 12 hours. Those diary entries were tough to take. I still can't remember my life with Kim Michael, but I got a little insight into how deeply she cared for me. Or for Jack Doran, I should say. Where are they, by the way? The diaries. I should file them. I burned them. You what? I burned them, Angel. Don't look at me that way. I don't regret it. Take a letter. But, boss, you broke your own rule. You always... I said take a letter. You're going to write a very nice note of apology to Mrs. Brenda Romero informing her that I met with no success on my visit to 1985, and it is with deep regret that I am returning her check. I'm not taking that letter. I, I don't even know what to say to you right now. You're breaking your own rule to protect yourself. You're a bloody hypocrite. Angel, I... No, don't touch me now. I need to be in the other room, away from you for a little while, and, and take your bloody chocolates back. Ugh. Oh, what in the world can I... Oh, what now? John Dark. Oh, Mrs. Romero. Uh, Brenda? Um, how are you today? Thank you. Yes, I'm fine. Yes, I guess you could say I was uh, successful. Can I, um, may I come over to your home? I have a very interesting story to tell you. Yes. Uh, all right. Yeah, see you soon. You have been listening to The Time Cutter, Pulpery Theater's fourth episode of Season 3, starring the Narada Radio Company and sponsored by the Faux Patrol Corporation, makers of Ocheline Motor Fuel. Featured in the cast were, in order of appearance, Todd Jones as John Dark and Jack Doran, Griffin Green as Vivian Chen, Katie Lofton as Brenda Romero, Mark Hakala as The Taxi Driver, Julio Herrera as The Shooter, Aaron Kennigsberg as The Reporter, McKenna DeYoung as Kim Michael, and Ophelia McBride as The Nurse. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. The Time Cutter is an original audio play by Pete Lutz, which was written and produced for live stage performance in 2001, and specially revised in 2014 for the Pulpery Theatre Series. Mr. Lutz also directed and produced tonight's program. Now, here's Pete to tell you about our next episode. Be sure to join us next time when Pulpery Theatre 
brings you a strange, spicy tale about a 500-year-old curse on a pair of women's footwear entitled The Medici Boots. Until then, this is Pete Lutz, reminding you to call me if your situation changes, and keep your ears clean. Our Oshaline commercials were presented by, in the following order, Derek Lutz and John Valadez, Michelle Cotter, John Valadez, and Derek Lutz, Pete Lutz, John Valadez, Cheyenne Gibbs, Jason D. Johnson, and Derek Lutz, Pete Lutz, and Debbie Liao. Music for this production was provided through a Creative Commons license by The Good Lords, the U.S. Army Blues Band, Daisy May, Kevin McLeod, and The Blue Dot Sessions. Certain sound effects were provided through a Creative Commons license by Clonkbield at freesound.org and the Shaggy Freak via freesound.org. The Pulpery Theater theme was composed and performed by Rich Wentworth. Opening announcements were by Gene Lutz and Rich Wentworth. The preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain, except where indicated. The audio play script and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creator and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulpourri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio production. And that's this week's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Sonic Society. Where can people find us, David? They can find us Facebook, Audio Drama, Radio Drama Lovers, Sonic Society. They can find us on Twitter at Sonic Society, at Jack Jamie Ward, at Astro Tour 2010. They can find us via the website, that's sonicsociety.com, and via email, sonicsociety at gmail.com. You got it down pat, except for it is uh, Jack J. Ward. I always Jack forget- J. Ward. I was thinking, Jack Jamie Ward is my email, so don't just you know inundate me with email now that I told you that. But Jack J. No. Ward is my Twitter account. By the way, jackjward.com is also my personal writing website, so if you want to go uh-huh. there. And of course, evicuna.com is the Electric Vicuna website to download some of our original works there. Last year's Black Cat, for example. That is it for this week, so we will see you next time for episode 471. <laughs> Thank Thanks so much for coming. We'll see you next week. That you will. Have a good night, David. You too. Thanks very much, Jack. Good night. The Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening.
This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mutual. Happy birthday to you. And many more. (laughs) This was not only a birthday greeting for the Mutual Audio Network, which, as you may know, has been bringing you the finest in audio drama for just a little more than one year, it was also a way of letting you know how long 20 seconds are. Why should you know it? Because the CDC recommends, during this COVID-19 situation, that you and me and everybody wash our hands with soap and water as often as possible for at least 20 seconds. So get all of your fingers, get the palms, get the backs of your hands, and a little bit up your wrists, and make sure you change out your towels more frequently as well. If it helps to sing Happy Birthday or some other song, as you do so, why not? This was a public service announcement from the Mutual Audio Network.